0: Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Gulati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter, and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjogalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now on with the podcast.
1: The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents Your Health First with Dr. Joe Galati, putting faith and health together for a better you. And now live from Houston, Texas, here's Dr. Joe Galati.
0: Well, what a pleasure a great Thursday to everybody that's tuning into The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129. It's such a pleasure to be back on The Catholic Channel today. As you heard, This is Your Health First, where we're putting faith and health together for a better you. Now, I would say, for those of you that follow radio, there is no other program like this, where there is discussion of faith and Catholicism and blending in health and wellness. Now, real brief, you may remember over in uh, the month of July, I was— I was on the Catholic Channel for three days, and we were talking about a topic that really is pretty near and dear to me. Family, faith, and food. And that really is the central tenet of how I practice medicine, how I take care of my patients. And when you really look back and dissect it carefully. So, family. We need strong families. The nuclear family, as we know, is under constant attack. We need to maintain our faith and be prayerful, especially taking care of our children. And we need to nourish ourselves, not only in the sense of nourishing our soul and our faith, but we have to eat good food to preserve health and you know, the, my, again, my philosophy is such that if you are not healthy, you have you're plagued by chronic disease, diabetes, heart disease, cancer. The very people that we want to take care of, our spouses, our family members, our children, our community, we're really of no value if we're sick. Or chronically ill. Now you don't have to be on death's door uh, to to have a negative impact. Just being chronically ill is going to be very problematic for you. So we are here. I am here to to bridge that gap of of religious discussion and spirituality and health and wellness. Now to to. Figure, who, who is this Dr. Galati here? Well, I am a, a liver disease specialist. That's called a hepatologist here in Houston, Texas, in the world-famous Texas Medical Center. Now, I was born and raised in New York. So if you're saying to yourself, oh, the guy's in Houston, Texas. He doesn't have much of a Texas twang. It's because I'm not from Texas. I am from New York. But I was raised on Long Island. I uh, my My religious education was through... St. Raphael's Parish in East Meadow, Long Island. I went to Diocesan High School, Holy Trinity High School. And since moving to Houston in 94, we've been active parishioners at St. Lawrence Catholic Church. And that is where I met two people that you are going to meet in uh, just shortly, Um, Daniel and Marie Murray. They are here to tell their story about their daughter, Zelie. Who has congenital heart disease, and we're going to get into that a little bit more, and the unbelievable health journey, religious journey that they have been going through with her and all of her trials and tribulations. It is an amazing story to hear. Now, for me as a practicing physician, I I head up the liver transplant program at Houston Methodist Hospital here in uh, the medical center. And truly, taking care of these sick patients with liver disease, my faith is challenged every single day. But I I absolutely love it. Now, outside of patient care and research, education is the cornerstone of what I believe in. At every opportunity, we want to educate and inspire our patients and their families. And we do this through radio. I've been on the radio since 2003 here in Houston with Your Health First. We want you to be better consumers of health care. And so, as I had said earlier, we want to stay healthy so that we can care for our families and our community. And uh, at the end of the day, that is what I would like all of you to take away from that. Also on the program coming up in just a minute is Dr. Wayne Franklin calling in from Phoenix Children's Hospital. He is an expert expert in congenital heart disease, and he's going to set the table for what we're going to be talking about later. Now, to get in touch with me, easiest way, drjogalati.com. drjogalati.com is my website. Sign up for our newsletter. It is right there on the homepage, and all the other things that we do with our patients and services we offer are available on drjogalati.com. All right, so without further ado, let us get Dr. Wayne Franklin on the line. Dr. Franklin, are you there? Okay, so uh, we're going to get Dr. Franklin in uh, a moment here. Now, when you look at and talk about congenital heart disease, what is congenital heart disease? So it is a defect in the formation or development of the heart in utero as as the child is forming in the mother's womb. And there are a wide range of different congenital heart defects, and, and most would classify them as non-critical or critical. Now, the non-critical can, in many cases, be managed by medical therapy, some minor procedures. But the more critical cases, like we're talking about with Zelly shortly, um, that requires surgery, and it's far more complicated, and the stakes are higher for survival and, and, and really trying to attain a normal normal lifestyle and normal quality of life. And the statistics on congenital heart disease you may may not have realized that roughly 1% or about 40,000 births per year in the U.S. would be classified as having congenital heart disease. Now, uh, about one in four babies, one in four with congenital heart disease, have a critical disorder, which is certainly the the more serious uh, version of that. Uh, Infants with the critical kind— Generally, need surgery or other procedures in the first years of life, if not in the first days to weeks. Uh, so that is um, that is um, very very important to realize. And in 2010, which is a while ago, over two million infants, children, adolescents, and adults were living with congenital heart disease. So what does that tell you? A lot of these individuals are living and leading a a normal uh a normal life after the diagnosis of congenital heart disease. So that is encouraging. We'll wait uh for Dr. Franklin to get on. You know, I'm I'm wondering if uh if we try to call him on his cell phone. That might be that might be something we can um we can try but again we are waiting for dr franklin i have in the studio here we'll 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 jump to the murray's right now real real quick uh daniel and marie murray and i must say for full transparency i've known daniel since he was a a young boy in the neighborhood playing little league at church uh daniel i'm so
2: happy you're here to to tell your story that's right Thanks, Dr. Thanks, Dr. Gladi. Thanks so much for having us. And uh, Marie, his lovely wife, who
0: is with child number three. Uh, when, when's your when's your due date?
3: We're due on December first with our third girl.
0: That is amazing. So what I would say is, Daniel, um, uh, a, a side story here, in addition to to Zelly's story, is um, you had a sister with the same hypoplastic
2: left heart syndrome uh, tell us tell us about that certainly yes and hypoplastic left heart syndrome um, that is essentially missing one of the four hearts four chambers of the heart and we when we got the diagnosis, for Zelly, unfortunately, it hit really close to home because we'd had that experience. And I was only three years old at the yeah, time. That's young. When my baby sister Lindsay was born. Um, so I don't remember much of it other than being with my grandparents. Um, but at that time, it was not diagnosed prenatally. And they noticed very quickly afterwards that she was blue, not getting enough oxygen to her body, rushed her to Texas Children's here in Houston, where they sat down with my parents and, and told them that there were not very many options. This was 1995. Right, which almost seems ancient from a medical technology standpoint. That's right. And so they ultimately decided it would be best to take Lindsay home, and she lived with us for 12 days there in Missouri City before she died. Yeah.
0: Now, now Marie, as you're dating Daniel and you're—, mm-hmm. you're Hearing, of course, this story, did anything go through your head to say, you know what, uh, this may be a problem for us? Did that ever cross your mind or did you guys ever have that conversation?
3: No, I mean, I remember learning about Lindsay early on and just being so touched because their family's done such a beautiful job of honoring her life. And right. I mean, they go visit her every year on her birthday, they go sure. visit her headstone and have balloons. And it's just, it's a beautiful way of honoring her life and remembering yeah. her. She's still very much part of the family. Yeah. Um, but I remember just being so touched by that story, but never once did I think there was any genetic link or it just didn't even occur to me that that could be something that yeah. would happen again. It seems so rare,
2: right. I wanted to add that we we used to have a tradition of tying off a cupcake to the balloons um until one year with a, a little incident with the power lines, and we uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no more treats on the balloons, yeah, but no no inkling that it was genetic up up until this point. um and that's actually. Um, we were just in there for a routine checkup, the twenty-week anatomy scan, and our, our OB picked up on it rather quickly uh, and knew knew exactly what it was. And I think that's and thank one. Thank God th- for that. I mean, yes, that's excellent what care the there.
3: It made.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, you know what we're going to do? We do have Doctor Franklin on the line. We're going to take a, a a quick break right now. I'm Doctor Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to Doctor you're listening to Your Health First, putting faith and health together for a better you on the Catholic Channel. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back.
1: Welcome back to Your Health First, putting faith and health together for a better you with Dr. Joe Galati on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
0: Well, a good Thursday afternoon to everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Catholic Channel today. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. In the studio with me is Daniel Emery Murray. And on the phone, finally, you know, you have to love live radio to to deal with this, is Dr. Wayne Franklin. He is the co-director of the Heart Center at Phoenix Children's Hospital. He is an expert in adult and pediatric congenital heart disease dr franklin i could now say welcome to the program
4: hi joe thanks so much for having me sorry about the technical difficulties i gave you my nurse's number uh Uh, because i give that out a lot more than my own phone line so that's my fault on that one
0: all right well if she wants to hop on and say hi we'll we'll talk to her too so um so wayne uh we are talking today about congenital heart disease, and there's really nobody better than, than you to give the audience today an overview. So in, in a nutshell, what is your background in congenital heart disease?
4: So I have a, a pretty broad background. I was a, a, a Duke uh, medicine pediatric resident, and then I trained both in pediatric cardiology and adult cardiology, and my clinical focus is on what's called adult congenital cardiology. So when the kids with heart disease grow up and become heart patients, that's been my clinical focus. Um, I'm now the, the co-director of the Heart Center here at Phoenix Children's in Arizona, and so my my, my spectrum is now from fetal life, uh, heart disease, all the way through adulthood. So it's pretty broad.
0: Yeah. Now, for for people that are listening today, and maybe for the first time, they're hearing a discussion of congenital heart disease, and they may be sitting. Well, am I at risk for um, congenital heart disease, or is uh, my uh, expecting wife or my daughter? What what causes congenital heart disease?
4: Yeah, well, it's a great question, Joe. You know, the the first thing is really it's it's really a birth defect. Um, you know, uh-huh. in general, means by definition present at birth and so it's actually the most common birth defect affecting about eight out of a thousand live births and so it's more it's the most common birth defect more common than down syndrome more common Uh than club foot or cleft palate so um you know we i see a lot of it but it's pretty common and so are people at risk for us? Yes, they are, but um, a lot of it will be diagnosed either in utero, in the womb, or, or shortly after birth. Some patients, as you know, get to adulthood and, you know, don't get picked up and don't present and have symptoms or anything. So some, a small percentage lasted to adulthood, but most of it's picked up in childhood.
0: Yeah. Now with technology, be it, uh, laboratory or mostly imaging, I would think, x-rays and ultrasound, how, how has this whole landscape in the, the past 20 years changed for you and your colleagues in trying to diagnose, manage, and treat, and get these uh, young people back to a functional status?
4: Yeah, well, the other thing that just came through the past few years has been the congenital heart disease screen. So any baby born in a hospital, we check their oxygen before they leave, and that's a good screening tool as well. Um, And then many patients, if they're pregnant, the women are getting uh, sonograms, and so that's a good screening tool to detect it even in utero. And if if the OB finds an abnormality in the heart, you know, three chambers instead of four or a narrowed valve or something, uh, they can then send them for a full fetal echocardiogram while the mom is still pregnant. Um, we do have some great imaging as well in the sort of postnatal life. So after the kids are born, we can look with um, an echocardiogram or an ultrasound and even do uh, an MRI now uh, on these patients. And that, that's really great. It lets us do a, a very good sort of 3D picture of, of everything uh, with the cardiovascular system. So that's a great tool these days.
0: Yeah, really. Now, similar to the patient population I deal with, uh, with chronic liver disease. It's a very sick group of uh, individuals. It's the, the emotional roller coaster that our patients and their families are on is, is uh, quite taxing for, for all of us, and certainly for you dealing with parents and dealing with the children that are, and in, in many times, gravely ill. And, you know, there's a, a, a saying from the Bible in, in Matthew, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. For for these families that you're working with and your whole team and the um, pastoral support that is, is at the hospital and chaplains and whatnot, how do you talk to these patients and address all of these challenges from a... A faith standpoint and an emotional standpoint.
4: Yeah, you know that's a great question because it's really hard. You know, a lot of times these are <clears throat> these are new parents. These are parents that just had a baby, maybe for the first time, and right. You know, they're supposed to be such a joyous occasion, and they get this really terrible diagnosis. So we do offer counseling. Um, um, the religious counseling, we have pastors, we have chaplains, and I think it's really important. Um, sometimes we we pray with families. Sometimes ask, families ask us to do that. I think that's very important. I think faith is extremely important with coping with these patients and sure. families, but also really trying to get the best outcome. <clears throat> I know families do a lot of that. You know, A lot of these kids, as you know, will need surgery. Right. So, you know, sending your your newborn beautiful baby for surgery is a really tough thing to do for for parents and so we counsel them and we t- we talk with them but i think those are a lot of the things we try to offer them especially since you said like you said it's a very stressful time
0: oh oh it is now one one question and again this is this is for those listening that have let's just say young children maybe school age children and how many cases or what are some of the symptoms that a parent that's listening today or a grandparent will say, look, you know, my my seven-year-old is just, he should be able to run and play soccer a little better than this. He's, he's the one kid that's huffing and puffing at the end of the field. Uh, are there certain symptoms or signs that parents uh, should be Alert to and not simply ignore it as oh my kid's out of shape. Uh, what what's the what's the word? Because again, you want to get these these kids in early to get checked out, whether it's a yeah. real problem or not.
4: Yeah, well, hopefully um, <clears throat> with good um, sort of primary care or, or pediatrics, you know, some of these can be detected with a with a murmur. So some do cause a murmur, but 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 many don't. And so some of the symptoms we sort of ask for screening questions is. Just like you said, can your child keep up with the other children? Okay, uh, do they have to stop early because of chest pain or shortness of breath? Or do they just feel fatigued or tired? Um, right. Do they have color changes, uh, particularly blue colors? I mean, it's kind of normal sometimes to have some some oral uh, blue discoloration to the lips in some a newborn, but it shouldn't be prolonged. Um, right. And then other things, too, like if if the patients have really funny heartbeats, like they kind of feel like there's a butterfly in their chest for palpitations, it may be an indication that there's an arrhythmia going on as well. So I think those are some subtle things that uh, we have to ask for. You know, chest pain is a big one. Um, right. You know, mo- honestly, most chest pain in, in children is actually not cardiac. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, sometimes it can be. And so so those are some subtle things we ask. But we, we certainly have to put the whole picture together, kind of see what the child is doing, see what the symptoms are. And then, and then when appropriate, we can get the proper testing.
0: Yeah. But I, but I would say, uh, uh, again, for, for those listening parents or, you know, whoever is, is seeing this, this patient, this, this child, a certain level of, of, uh, attention to minor behavioral changes, or are they, um, uh, having symptoms, and not to ignore it. I I would think you don't want to create an entire school-age population of hypochondriacs, but I think you'd agree that we need parents, grandparents, family members to really dial in to the health and status of their children.
4: For sure. Exactly. And again, we don't want to put too much onus on the Parents to say okay that that 's an important symptom, and that 's not right because uh, that 's really difficult you know, and so what we try to do is we try to definitely have a good connection with their pediatrician and, and educate them and then and then you know community awareness as well tell the parents you know what to um, what to expect or what things to look for that that you know no, no symptom is too subtle, and you know if it, especially joe's if it 's a new symptom, like you said, they used to be able to play a full soccer game and now they get tired after five or ten minutes, you know, something has changed, something's different. Those are clear signs that maybe something is going on and should be checked out.
0: Absolutely. Last last question, Wayne, for you, and yeah. I'm going a little off topic with regard to heart disease. Childhood obesity and what you're seeing from a heart standpoint, realizing that some of the challenges that these young people are having today as a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, is going to be a far bigger problem from a cardiovascular standpoint when they're 25 years old. What's your sense on that and what's the message for those listening today to really take away?
4: Yeah, ob- obesity as you know is a big problem in, in the in the entire country and that obviously starts with, with adults and then o- obese adults tend to have obese children sometimes and so we know that it can affect the, the heart. We know that it can it cause diabetes, uh, hyperlipidemia, which is cholesterol. So we actually now have a prevention clinic where we try to, to, to counsel the kids you know, when they come up as being overweight or when they have some early-on obesity. We try to get them in with a dietitian, healthy lifestyle, exercise regimen, really, really important things because, it, as you know, this is more of a lifestyle modification. Right, right. not really just a great pill for this and so this is a it's a tough lifestyle change but we've we've multidisciplinary counseling with ourselves the nutritionists sometimes the endocrinologist we've uh, we've really just started to tackle this problem
0: yeah all right well dr. Wayne Franklin uh, so great to hear from you Um, I, I should tell everybody that you were a permanent fixture in the medical center here in Houston at Texas Children's and Baylor College of Medicine and I would say a lot of your patients that I still see miss you very much, but I know you're doing some great things in Phoenix there.
4: Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's great to talk with you, Joe. Thanks so much.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank talk you, Wayne. You we'll okay. talk to you soon. Right. You bet. Bye-bye. All right. Dr. Wayne Franklin, awesome, awesome individual and um, such such a uh, such a great colleague. Back to the Murrays who are in the studio here, here with me, Daniel and, and uh, Marie, who their daughter Zelly, how old is she now?
3: She is two and a half.
0: Two and a half. Uh, wow, a whopping two and a half years old. That is really a miracle. Marie, if if you can for the audience, give everybody a thumbnail timeline on the that first year, Ooh. Um, where she was at Texas Children's from birth. Uh, she was in about seven or so. Yeah,
3: two hundred and two days.
0: Two hundred and two days. This is a mother that. Uh, counted every day, mm-hmm. uh, and and to really set this up for the faith stress test, I would say that this put you and your family through.
3: Sure, it's hard to get in a, a thumbnail, but I'll do my best. Um, like you said, she was diagnosed in utero at my 20 week anatomy scan. They saw something wrong, and we got referred out and had one of those fetal echocardiograms that right. Dr. Franklin talked about and uh she's born. She looked as healthy as could be. She was a week late, 8 pounds, 14 ounces, like big, healthy baby, uh, but right away got hooked up to IVs. I mean, they took her right away and, and just started working on her right off the bat, and she had her first open-heart surgery at six days old, wow. huge 14-hour-long surgery, um, just absolutely huge, and had a really, really difficult recovery from that. She was on a ventilator for about a month following that, which is not the norm. Her little heart just had a, a real hard time um, getting used to its new setup and kind of bouncing back from that so difficult recovery. Um, she had a couple issues with uh, going into septic shock, having acute respiratory distress, having to get emergently intubated again, and it was all just overall due to her heart not being strong enough to tolerate different things. Yeah. So different stressors. Um, now you know when I
0: when I look at this yeah. timeline, I I say to myself. You had a lead time of nearly five months mm-hmm. to complete the pregnancy, and it's, it's almost as if you had five months to think about what this was going to be like for Zelly and for yourselves. Right. Daniel, uh, from a
2: faith standpoint, what, what were you thinking, and what did, what did you do? That's right. Yeah, there's an initial shock, certainly, with the diagnosis. But as the time progressed, we realized what was coming up, and we had the experts at Texas Children's. They did great care, and they gave us the prognosis, and they said, hey, with the kids who are born today with this, there's a couple of surgeries they need to do, but 85% of them are going home to to live with their family. They might be on oxygen. They might not be able to do everything that the other kids do. And so that was the goal from number one. And so we started preparing our hearts, our house, uh, the the absolutely vital support network. I mean, it was not just us two, um, all the, the grandparents, siblings, neighbors, and, and people at our church. Um, the the meal train, for example. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, how, how long did that last?
3: Seven months of... Food from neighbors and friends, seven straight months. of I don't think I cooked. It's
2: high quality, the too. They put some love into it. Yeah, yeah.
0: well, that's a little Texas hospitality. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So when you're presented with the potential of what could be, what were the options that they laid out for you? Again, five months before the baby's even born.
3: Yeah, well, at the anatomy scan, they. I mean, the first thing they said was, um, we've you can terminate the pregnancy because right. that's that was an option at that time. Um, they said you can go forward with the pregnancy and go home on hospice, or go forward with the pregnancy and do these three stages of surgeries. And I didn't mention that thumbnail though. She she had her second surgery at 14 weeks old, and she'll have a third surgery around age four. Right. So those are the three stages of surgery, and that's that's the route we chose, choosing to have hope and and believe that there was chance for
2: her yeah and so there was always the mention of options like people would phrase it that way like oh well you do have options and then they wanted to do the uh, another blood test where they've actually put a needle into the baby oh the
3: amniocentesis in
2: utero to to test and we said well what does this tell you they said well just to make sure she doesn't have down so you know what your options are Is what we kept hearing so Mm
0: -hmm. so translate options what 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 do you think they were saying
3: they're so saying you could terminate the pregnancy right. and abortion. Just read between
2: the lines, yeah. yeah. But that there's a certain number of weeks in where you need to make that decision. Yeah. But
3: we quickly told them that that wasn't what we were wanting to do, and um, just none of those extra tests were going to change anything. So we yeah. just powered forward and uh, the the only up.
0: option was to get to the <laughs> the delivery date and really mm-hmm. go from there. You, you know, getting getting back to your uh, Daniel, your sister's story. How did your your parents react to this, and mm-hmm. how did they? In, in, in a sense, it was almost a flashback to what they had originally gone through.
2: It was. I'm Dr. Galati, you can imagine the shock that it was for us, for them, a, a hundred more emotions. Um, so that stands out in my mind as, as my mom was actually watching our oldest while we were getting that anatomy scan. Um, and so she came back. and How did it go? Well, they're, um, they only saw three chambers in the heart, and it's even a little bit tough to think about it now, but um, but uh, it, it was, her reaction was really, really strong, um, because I'm sure immediately everything from 25 years ago came flooding back, but in the context of the, the better prognosis, technology, and care today, we, we had hope this time.
0: Yeah, and it was your faith that got you through.
3: Absolutely. And support from the faith community.
0: Now the name Zelly was not something you pulled out of a fishbowl. No. Right? You want to say, well, you know, Zelly, Murray, whatever. But tell us how you arrived at the name Zelly.
3: Sure. And we, we named her in the parking lot after that anatomy scan. We said, okay, this is this is Zelly Grace. We're gonna name her that. Um, so Zelly is named after St. Zelly Martin. And she and St. Louis Martin, they were canonized Mm -hmm. saints in 2015. They are the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower um, child of Jesus. So they're her parents. They're incredible people, very ordinary people, but people of great faith. And St. Zelie herself, just really vivacious. Um, She was a businesswoman. She worked hard, had a lot of losses and suffered a lot, but had an incredibly strong faith through it. So we thought this is this is going to be a strong baby. we need someone with some some fire behind her name and, and she's a good intercessor. Yes. she's
2: sarcastic. <laughs> hundreds of her letters exist today, and you can read really? those translate into English and she um, she's feisty. it will change your perception of oh a saint is a you know very quiet and cloistered no she <laughs> she was frequently squabbling with with the other locals and and even um, successfully discredited. Two ladies who were pretending to be nuns. At one point, <laughs> um, she was never thought twice about throwing herself into the fray.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's it's an amazing story to to <laughs> read. Now, once Zelly is going for surgery, and uh, the the ups and downs in the intensive care unit, in shock, heart beating at an irregular rate, it was. Uh, I would say, fair to say, touch and go many, many many times. times. How did the medical staff, be it the doctors, the nurses, the therapists, work with you? And what was their input from a faith standpoint in praying or not praying, uh, keeping it more scientific and Matter of fact, what mm-hmm. tell everybody what that was like.
3: Well, I think that when they walked into Zelly's hospital room, they could see that we were people of faith because we, we had decorated her room with pictures of Jesus and Mary and guardian angel and everything. So I think they knew right off the bat that that was going to be something that was important to us. But we had plenty of visits from um, priests, from chaplains, and many of our nurses and, and doctors and medical staff openly said, we're praying for you, we're praying for Zelly."
2: It is, and I think that these are just to be in this profession, like like you, the medical profession, with these tough stories. So many of the nurses and doctors were were really religious, and once they saw the prayer cards and rosaries, then they knew they weren't in any any hot water just to open up about that with right. us and, and talk about their faith.
3: And no, they've seen miracles. I mean, they've they have told us, in in regards to Zelie too, like there's some things that just can't be explained by medicine, and they see that way more than we have, and. They're people of faith for sure. Yeah, one one clinic. nurse
2: knew that she had seen an angel sitting on on the bed of one of her infant patients, sitting there when the parents weren't there. That she, I mean, she believed that hundred percent. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, I would I would say from from my own experience with with my patients and the people and the families that I take care of, it is it is a. Uh, a situation where many of us, now I am a, a, a bit more vocal talking with patients and and uh, bringing in faith and chatting with them about their life and death uh, situations and faith and whatnot, but there are many in healthcare that are somewhat restrictive, that they hold back on purpose, or they're, they're just uncomfortable. They may be faithful sort of in their own way, but that outward, very visible uh, uh, type of presence there gets very uncomfortable, and they just clam up right away. And even though there's an upset patient, a, a family that's grieving, it, it's almost as if they're not quite sure what to do and and i would almost in, in in a way we have to work with our physician colleagues our nurse colleagues to say it is okay to open up and get close to these these families and 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 really be empathetic to what they're going
3: through it makes a difference i mean we've had encounters with nurses and and staff that have made such a big difference to us i remember on on one of zelly's worst nights it was the night that uh, that the doctor said that we were minutes away from she was minutes away from death. It was it was a very 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 close call for her, and uh, we were it was overnight, so we were home sleeping. Got this call came in, and anyways, come to find out that the nurse manager who was there she was a music director at a nearby church and led the music for it, and she had been there singing to Zelly, singing praise and worship music and praying over her through music through right. Christian music, and just wow, that's that's not that's not being a nurse, that's being a nurse with faith and really combining the two beautiful i'd
2: be worried that some of them are feel like they have to do that in private and only share their faith privately they've got their careers and everything to worry about but if you can't talk about faith with the patient then you're not going to be able to deliver the best care and the best outcomes if it's all about outcomes i mean that's a whole dimension of care that that needs to be met right there no exactly now uh, you know one question that I don't want to say
0: it's begging to be asked, but Daniel, you you started this all with a a more than solid foundation in 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 faith. But how did this experience with your daughter change
2: your faith? Did it did it change it in in any way? Absolutely. Abandon is the first word that comes to mind um, because Uh, Yes, I was already attending church. I'd been to Catholic school and I feel like had a strong faith, but I was always active. And then when we were in the ICU with Zelly, there was nothing to be done um, on our part. We could take notes all day and and ask the nurses to help. But there's many times where we felt like there was little that we could do to impact her outcome other than pray and give it all to God. And that's when... um, I started praying the rosary. We got the, the Magnificat daily prayers and and started that every day in our lives um, and just gave it completely to God and recognized that he has the ultimate power, even with the top doctors, top technology, millions of dollars. It was really up to him and his will so many times. And that's what we realized in a big way with Zelly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, patients will
0: many times when I'm dealing with a uh a serious potentially life-threatening problem with with one of our patients and for me and what I do it is uh, uh end stage liver disease, liver cancer, people will have kidney failure uh and it's it's uh, for, for those that are unfamiliar with liver disease it is a uh, horrible disease at at the very end of the disease, and so we are having to deal with very much life and and death discussions on on being able to survive or being able to uh, tolerate a particular treatment or whether or not they're a candidate for transplant. But in 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 many cases, they will look to me and say, "I am being guided," you know, by. The Lord and I, I'm just sort of a you know, sort of an operative for Jesus, uh, realizing that yes, what I'm telling them is good information, state of the art, and we're going to do what we can, but really at the end of the day, it is a decision that is way, way out of out of my hands.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanna say too, just touching on what Daniel said about how faith has has changed talking about praying the rosary, and I, I had never prayed the rosary too much before this, but gosh, you have all the time in the world when your baby is sedated and just laying there. So yeah. lots of rosaries were said, and I, I really connected with Mother Mary in a very different way than I ever had before because I, especially in the sorrowful mysteries, you know, she's you can picture her knowing that her son is going through these there's this agony, the agony in the garden, carrying of the cross. He's suffering mm-hmm. and she's helpless. She can't do anything but stand by and, and watch and pray for him. And that's how I felt. I felt much more connected to Mother Mary in that time because I was sitting there watching my helpless baby suffer. And I was it really expanded my understanding of the rosary and the meditation there and
2: and she yeah. surely didn't know how that this was going to all work out for God's greater glory, but she still had faith that it was going to.
3: Yeah, she's the ultimate example of, of faith and trust in God. So yeah. that was very helpful to have.
0: All right. Well, yeah. for those that are listening, I am talking with Daniel and Marie Murray and talking about their beautiful daughter, Zelly, who has congenital heart disease and has been through, a, a to say the least, a rough couple of years of her life doing well now and uh is is uh, is a ball of energy right now mm-hmm. we're going to take a break right now i am dr joe galati you're tuned into your health first putting faith and health together for a better you don't forget go to dr dot if you have any questions you want to reach out to me go there sign up for our newsletter do that now during the break stay tuned we will be right back About
1: good things to come. welcome back to your health first putting faith and health together for a better you with dr, dr. joe galati on the catholic channel sirius xm 129
0: well i sure hope you're all having a great thursday i am anytime i am on the radio i am happy i am super happy when i'm on the radio to get in touch with me simplest thing, com. You could sign up for our newsletter. You could send me a message. And I would certainly say we need your feedback on the program and the topics, what other topics you'd like to hear about. So if you go to com, you can certainly send me a message and uh, learn about what we do and connect with us on social media and just be part of the discussion. Now, with the program... By name, Your Health First. We want to put your health first. We want you to think about your health. So we will, from time to time, I will show up here on the Catholic Channel, Channel 129, and when there is an appropriate topic or subject, we'll be back. Also, if you're a regular listener to the channel, during the week, I have brief one-minute health summaries that that run through the day, just trying to jog your memory to think about a topic or a little uh, pearl that you can listen, learn, incorporate it, and make it actionable within your own life. And a little fact, the month of October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so... We do want you to think about breast cancer. If you're due for a mammogram, get it this month. Now, the American Cancer Society uh, has a lot of information on their website. You can go there and learn about breast cancer. But the key thing with any disease that we talk about, be it diabetes, uh, heart disease, Congenital heart disease, as we're talking about here, liver disease, it is understanding whether or not you are at a particular risk for a disease. So if you're at risk for a disease, be it there's something that you do, an occupation, a certain other habit that you have, uh, or in your family, you have a family history of a certain condition, you need to be doubly aware and make sure that you're getting screened. Okay so that is the message and really all of us that work on your health first is to really have you think about your health and and not take it for granted that is the absolute last thing we want you to do. So as I was saying earlier in the studio here today a great pleasure Daniel and Marie Murray talking about their daughter Zelly who has hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which essentially left on its own as a congenital defect uh, would be fatal, but with surgery, medical know-how, they have um, um, uh, she has done very well. The road is not totally clear. She still has a, a, another surgery in the near future, but she really has done very, very well. And the notion of having them here today on the Catholic Channel is to talk about their faith, the challenges their faith had, and the lessons to learn. So for everybody, everybody tuned in today, you may not have a sick child that has serious heart disease. You may be dealing with some other kind of a problem, kidney disease, addiction, alcoholism, cancer, whatever it may be. So we want the Murrays here to uh, serve as an example of how to channel your faith. So Daniel, um, sort of along the same lines, is there any way to prepare from a faith standpoint for what you and Murray have gone through?
2: Thanks, Dr. Gladigan, thanks so much for this opportunity to, to share our story and talk with others about her preparation. I mean, we mentioned the support group being huge, but we had months and there was still no no way to stand there and have your child rolled off to the ER, then, then come back, um, and their 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 chest is still open when they come back. Without mm-hmm. getting too graphic on that, um, but it, it's so, something that parents shouldn't see their their kids in that state. Um, and and that's when we started praying. Um, we really keyed in on in Our Father when we asked for daily bread. And there was there's nothing we could do in months of preparation. All we could do was pray each morning that God would give us that daily bread, which we took to be the grace that we needed to face the challenges of that day. And and so it was such a, a day-by-day thing that giving it to him and knowing that he would give us what we needed for that day and that the next morning we would ask him again, and he never failed to give us what we needed for the following day.
3: And sometimes it was, it was our hourly bread or our minute bread. Sure. Um, at the touch-and-go times, but there's, there's no way you can prepare. I mean, if, if someone had told us your newborn beautiful baby is going to be in the hospital for 202 days and suffer tremendously and you know just have all these trials, you can't prepare for that. But the only way we got through it was, like Daniel said, just yeah. daily bread, daily grace.
0: Now, I would assume you're in the cardiac intensive care unit nobody there the children that are there nobody is there for the fun of it they are all sick children with one malady or another and i am sure that you ran across and, and befriended and talked with parents just like just like you maybe it's their first child maybe it's their fifth did you run into anybody or have conversations with anybody that in your conversations and it probably started off as a little bit of small talk that you you got the idea that they were not especially faithful they may not have followed a particular religion they may not have gone to church since they were in second grade and made their first communion but number one did you uh, uh, have conversations with with those and at the same time did you meet families where they're their faith evolved over the time that they were in the hospital.
3: Yeah, we certainly came across plenty of families in the, in the break room. You're not really meeting each other in each other's rooms, but right, you go to right. the break room where you take a little minute for yourself and see all these other families. And it turns out there are quite a few other families with uh, their children having the same condition that our daughter has and made it feel a whole lot less rare. And uh, yes, yeah, certainly for for many of them, faith would come up, and I think the main way Came up is that we would say, yeah, we're praying for you, or you know, I'll pray for your baby. Let me let me pray for them, and they'd say, yeah, I'll pray for your baby too. Or mm-hmm. if they didn't say that, you know, maybe that means that they weren't people of faith, but we still would say we're going to pray for your daughter or your son. Yeah
0: uh, did they, did they ask you about your faith? You I know, they what? would say, gee, your your room has the most prayer cards. Your <laughs> room has the most priests and nuns coming up to you. Uh, did they ever comment like that?
3: Not, not too too much. I think maybe just. I remember talking with one friend about our, like our faith journeys, just personally and right. kind of where we came from, background wise. But um, a place where we saw lots of growth in faith from other families too.
0: Right, right. Well, we're we're almost out of time here. And Marie, I'm, I've uh, I've I've tasked you to, <laughs> in a sense, as best as you can. It and it's you know very emotional and 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 taxing, but. What's your final thought uh to everybody today in 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 1 minute what's your message of faith and hope and prayer to everybody out there
3: Sure I think what Zelly's taught us through our experience with her is that every single day is a gift you know we, we don't know what her life expectancy is mm-hmm. we, we, the people who are surviving with her condition are only in their 20s or 30s she might need a heart transplant one day and with with congenital heart disease things can go one way or another any day so each day is a gift and none of us know what our life expectancy is none right. of us know Absolutely So she's taught us to you know every single day praise God for that day try to glorify God in that day don't hold grudges you know f- forgive one another and just we f- we're able to find joy in simple things that otherwise we might have been anxious about or um you know let let things get to us but every single day we get to see Zelly do something when she learned how to eat when she learned how to walk, you know, she's 18 months old and finally learned how to walk. She took her, she got her G-tube taken out when she was 20 months old. All these little things just bring us joy and help us realize every single day is a gift. We don't know how many we have. So and I, live and like I, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that really is the message that so many of us get bogged down in the silly stuff that doesn't amount <laughs> to a hill of beans. And uh, that God is.
3: Provides. God's going to provide. So trust him.
0: For sure. Marie and Daniel Murray, thank you very much for coming in today. It has been a great pleasure. I am Dr. Joe Galati. I will be back again when we have the proper topic to talk about. And don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. Thank you again. Thank you to everybody at the Catholic Channel for having me on. It's a great honor. You all have a great, healthy, and faithful day. Take care.
1: Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
0: Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out DrJoeGalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.